0: Exodus 3, we'll begin with verse number 7. This is where God is speaking to Moses out of the midst of the burning bush. And this is some of what the Lord said to Moses in issuing the directive that would set the stage for the remainder of Moses Exodus chapter 3, verse number 7, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land. Everyone say a good land. I'm Taking them to a good land. And a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God said, I'm going to get them out of Egypt and take them to a good land. Going now to Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Deuteronomy 11, verses 11 and 12. This is Moses, in fact, the entire book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is a, a transliteration of a Greek word that is actually a compound word, Deuteros and Namos, which, which means second law. Deuteronomy is the second time the law is given. This time, Moses is recounting it. He knows They are on the last few days of their journey before they're going to enter into the promised land. and Moses wants to remind those that are there the things that God had spoken 40 years before when he was on the mount. He had come down and said these things to that generation, but that generation had died or would soon die before they would enter into the promised land. And so this was the giving of the law the second time for a new generation that was about to enter into the land of promise. God was getting ready to keep His promises. But Moses wanted to remind them that these promises have been and were conditional. And there were things that this new generation was going to have to hear And they were going to have to abide by if they were going to inherit these promises. So Moses is recounting it throughout the book of Deuteronomy. That's why you see so many duplicate passages, so many things that are said elsewhere, um, especially in Exodus uh, and Leviticus. You see much of that repeated in Deuteronomy. And that's the reason why. It's handing it to a new generation. He says now in Deuteronomy 11, verses 11 and 12, But the land, whither ye go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. For the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year even until the end of the year. Now, in our first passage of Scripture, the Lord said to Moses, You're going to lead this people out of Egypt, out of all of these heathen nations, and I'm going to take you to another land. And it's going to be a good land. And then in Deuteronomy we find out the reason why it is a good land. It's a good land because God's eyes are on it continually. Because God is looking on that land. God is caring for that land. God is providing For that land. In fact, we'll talk a little bit about verse 11 and what it means toward the end of this message, Lord willing. But but Moses said that God's going to take us to a place that's much different than the place we came out of. A place that required the ingenuity of man to continue to survive. But we're going to a place... Where God's blessing is going to be there. He's going to help us. and He's going to take care of us. It's a good land. So I want to title this today, Gladly Living in the Good Land. Gladly Living in the Good Land. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's... Uh, Lift our voices. Lift our hands. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us today. Could we do that, everybody? I want the Lord to have His way today. I really feel this on my heart. I want God to speak to us. Let's talk to the Lord together. Us in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. I am at a couple of disadvantages here today uh, to our guests. I, I want to tell you, it's not, it's not normally my habit to bring a chair to the pulpit. This is not, I'm not following fads. I had surgery a few months ago. I haven't fully recovered yet. And so they bring me this so I can rest a little bit. In between my main points, Uh, this is not about our move to get rid of the pulpit and bring a bar stool to the platform, I can promise you, hallelujah, so just want to clarify that, want to clarify that, and you'll find I, I only stay in it as long as I have to. I'll be back up again, praise God, amen, amen. The other disadvantage is we got not only the youth group from Minot, but our own youth group. Who have been off hearing some of the best preaching you can hear? Uh, I, I have no doubt, and now they got to listen to me today. Oh, and on, so please. here I am. Here I am. I can't compete. I promise you. So, so lower your expectations today and get ready. Get ready for just some beans and cornbread. All right. Oh, on, Amen. Out. It as I said, I I have been disturbed. I've been disturbed at things that I see. And I know when I was a young man, I know what it was like to hear elders talk about the way it used to be back in the day. And you get tired of hearing about back in the day. You get tired of hearing about the things that they went through. And You, you know, I, we, we've laughed and said our parents uh, talked about having to walk uh, through uh, four feet of snow uphill to school. Uh, and home, it was uphill too. And you know, it was always much worse for them in their generation. And, and they always talked about how easy we had it. And, and I'd listen to the old timers as they would reminisce. And I know the feelings that I had. But I'm going to tell you, I'm coming to understand more and more what those feelings were all about. Because I do see the softening, the softening of generations. I do see. Where folks are becoming so easily offended at any little thing, folks are are, are becoming uh, what what someone started calling snowflakes, and they just have meltdowns very easily, and it doesn't take much to upset them and and I see these things going on, but please bear with me today i I am disturbed because. Uh, I love this apostolic truth and this apostolic message. I love it with all of my heart. Not having been raised in the church per se, but coming to God out of the world. Amen. There is something about the kingdom of God and this glorious message of Acts 2.38 and holiness that I love very, very much and I can't stand to see folks uh, wanting to abandon it uh, or wanting to modify it in any way. I am determined. I want my grandchildren and their grandchildren should the Lord tarry His coming. He meant to know the same Pentecost that I knew when I came into this thing 50 years ago. I want them to experience the same touch of God. Now hear me today. I'm going to try to pace myself because I've got a long way to go. And I'm already, already a bit weak today. But I'm going to do my best to pace myself today. Amen. But I do want to get this off of my heart. I want to express to you what I am feeling. Hallelujah. Amen. I look back at the things that I saw and the things that I experienced as a young man when I came into the church. And there are a few that are here today that can remember back in those days what the apostolic church was like. Now we had our battles. And we had those back then that wanted to change it, that wanted to water it down. That's always been the case. But by and large the apostolic movement Amen. there was a unity among most of us and we longed for a depth in God's spirit and we watched it happen. I can remember what it was like for folks to be drunk on the Holy Ghost for extended periods of time. Amen. I can remember what it was like when our worship was not just a bounce to the beat of the music but folks would get lost in the spirit. They're dancing. Dancing did not look professional. It wasn't a learned step. But they followed the leading of the Spirit of God. And they just got lost. Their worship was not for one another. But it was for God and God alone. Amen. Amen. But I see today. I see today as as there are some in the apostolic ranks who have set their sights on becoming like others. And they're looking at the charismatic churches. And they're looking at the mega congregations. And they want to follow their lead. And they want to build what others have built. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not using Joel Osteen as my pattern. I'm not using T.D. Jakes as my model. I have a pattern. I have a model. And it's right here. And until I reach this, I'm not going to be satisfied. Well, praise God. Amen. Now, I'm saying all this not for your applause, but because I I am disturbed this morning. I am disturbed. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of preachers over the last few weeks. Preachers that uh, are also concerned, uh, many of them much younger than I am, but they see a trend that is developing among us. And so my mind hearkens back to the verses of Scripture in our text and the things that transpired with the children of Israel. As I read to you, the Lord spoke to Moses one day from a burning bush. And he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt. I'm going to take them out of that land of bondage. Out of that place where they worship many gods. Out of that place where they do things that are displeasing to me. And I'm going to take you to a land. Not just any land, Moses. We're going to take you to a good land. It's going to be a land that is a." Abundant in its blessings. My eye is on that land. My heart is for that land. My spirit will be upon that land. My blessings have been determined upon that land. And so God miraculously led them out of Egypt. We sang a little bit about it this morning. Amen. We sang about the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And how God parted the waters for them and delivered them. But there were miracles taking place before they ever got to the Red Sea. The entire process of deliverance was one miracle after another. Amen. Amen. Now we often refer to the ten plagues of Egypt. But I challenge you to go back and read what the psalmist said as he was recounting. He didn't call them plagues. He referred to them as God's wonders. Amen. They were only plagues to the Egyptians. They were wonderful to the people of God. To those that were living right. To those that were doing right. They weren't sir. To those that were serving God. They were wonders. They were watching the handiwork of God. As judgment fell on those that were abusing them. Amen. But in spite of that miraculous deliverance. It didn't take them long. In fact, while they were standing at the banks of the Red Sea, there was already a cry that began to go up from among them, wanting to go back to Egypt. They wanted to return to the land of bondage. And then once they crossed the Red Sea, once God provided that miracle, drowned the Egyptians. They had seen that the Egyptians had come after them. To return them to bondage, God had caused the sea to enclose upon the Egyptians. God had drowned their enemies. And yet, as they began to wander in the wilderness, it did not take long until once again their cries could be heard. We want to go back to Egypt. Read for me, Brother Goff, Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6.
1: And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us to eat? We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons, and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes.
0: You know, th- this is this is an astounding statement that's being made. It's astounding on a number of levels because they said, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, 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 you really think it was free? You were slaves. You were slaves to hard taskmasters who hated you, who abused you, who whipped you, who made you begin to fashion your own bricks. These people took advantage of you. And you want to say you were eating freely? But that's the way they remembered it. We ate freely. The fish. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Well, that almost sounds like a plague to me. A plague of halitosis, praise God. Bad breath for those of you who don't know what that word means. Onions and garlic and Lord have mercy. Um, we remember all of that. And they said, but now our soul is dried away because all we have is manna. Now, the manna was being given to them freely. The only stipulation was they had to go out and gather it, just go pick it up. That was all that was asked of them. It didn't cost them anything, they weren't slaves anymore. They could have as much as they wanted. And furthermore, it was miracle bread. Every morning when they got up and opened the tent flap, there was a miracle lying on the ground for them. And yet in their hearts, they said, we would rather have the bondage that it took. To give us the fish and the leeks and the gun, the, the onions, and the garlic, and the melons. We would rather have all of that with its bondage than to have this freedom and the miracle bread. As I said, it's astounding to me. Why they would not want the miraculous. I do not know. But then. And I've got to be careful because I've got a long way to go and I don't want to get sidetracked. I will point out to you, verse 4 said, it was the mixed multitude among them. It was those that were traveling with them whose hearts were not really with them. They weren't really Jews. They weren't really Israelites. Now perhaps this mixed multitude had eaten freely of the fish and the melons, and the cucumbers, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. Maybe this mixed multitude had enjoyed free food. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this, and I'm just going to say it and move on. But one of the biggest problems, and you can study it throughout the 40 years of Israel's wandering in the wilderness, one of the biggest problems they had was this mixed multitude that was traveling with them. They were allowing themselves to be influenced by people whose hearts were not really with them. And I'm going to say this, we've got to be careful who we run with. We've got to be careful who we fellowship And listen to me, the moment they start lifting their voice against the things of God and the people of God and the house of God, you need to mark them as a mixed multitude. They're not really one of us. They might be with us, but they are not of us. The Bible said the mixed multitude fell a lusting. And it was because of them that the children of Israel began to have these tainted memories, thinking things were better than they had been, and thinking that the present was worse than it was. Well, you know, I've, I've actually dealt with people who have allowed the devil to convince their minds of this very thing. I had a woman years ago, years ago, who made a statement to me, my life is so bad i'm going through so much she was in the church supposed to be anyhow she she said my life is going so bad she said i had it better when i was in the world no you didn't no you didn't i'm going to tell you my worst day in the church is better than my best day in the world Because though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have one thing to be afraid of. I'm not walking this valley alone. When I was out there, I was by myself. But now I've got somebody with me that cares about me. Somebody that's watching over me. Somebody that's taking care of me. And somebody who will turn things around. So they remembered the things that they enjoyed, but they chose to forget the bondage, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering. They chose to forget all of that and glorify the things that they wanted, the things that their flesh craved. And those things became more important to them than the miraculous provision of God. Oh, I feel like preaching this today. I'm I'm trying to not get ahead of myself. I'm trying to just lay a foundation right now. But I want to stress, I want to stress to you. I want to stress to you the danger, amen, of losing sight of the need for the miraculous touch of God. Don't let us ever get to the place that we desire man's methods above God. God's miracles. I said, don't ever let us get to the place that we desire man's methods above the master's miracles. I want his manna. I'll take his manna any day over anything that man can provide for me. Hallelujah. They forgot about the bondage. I'm going to have to hurry. I'm going to have to hurry. We're going to have to skip over some of this with the golf. But I would remind you that the very reason they were where they were is because they had cried to God and asked for deliverance. They wanted out of Egypt. This was the answer to their prayer. Exodus chapter 3. Verses 7 through 10, we read as our text. Read it again, Brother Goff.
1: And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I've seen the affliction of my people. Which are in Egypt. Uh Uh-huh. And I've heard their cry. I've heard their cry. By reason of their taskmasters. Uh Uh-huh. For I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. I am come down and to deliver I am come them. down to deliver them. Out, of, out of the hand of the Egyptians. Yes, to bring them up out of that land unto a good land.
0: Yes, and a large a large.
1: unto a land flowing a land with, milk and honey, with milk and honey unto the place of the yeah, Canaanites. He goes
0: on. He talks more about the land. My point here is this. God said, I have come to deliver them because they have cried out to me. They want out of Egypt. They want to get away from Egypt. They don't want any part of Egypt anymore. And that's where I wanted to go get them to. I wanted them to get sick of Egypt. I wanted them to hate Egypt. I didn't want them to fall in love with the place where they've been for 400 years. I wanted them to get enough down in their crawl that they were crying out, "God, deliver us from this place. He could have delivered them at any point through the centuries. But he waited until they wanted out. And when they wanted out, and they cried for deliverance, that's when God came and delivered them. And so the very fact that they were now here was an answer to their own prayer. It was what they had asked for. And now, now all they can do is complain. Complain that they're free from the place they wanted to be free from. And say over and over and over, let's go back. Let's go back. We don't want this miracle bread. We don't want the provision of God. We'll go back and become slaves. To get what Egypt has to offer. And I'm going to tell you that's the only way. That's the only way you're going to get what Egypt has to offer. Is to return to slavery. How soon they had forgotten the pain, the turmoil. The anguish that they had known as slaves. And they were actually weeping. Read, read Numbers 11, verse 4 again.
1: And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children, and of, the Israel children also of
0: Israel also
1: wept again.
0: They, they did what?
1: Wept again. They
0: wept. They're actually shedding tears over their fond memories of a place of slavery. I'm going to tell you, rather than desiring to go back to Egypt, the Israelites should have been focusing on the land God promised to give them. Rather than looking behind them, they should have been looking ahead. Not only, not only is this Old Testament portion of of, of um, Genesis, or not Genesis, but Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, not only are these four books filled with cries from the people, let's go back to Egypt, but they are also filled with the words of God and those who trusted God concerning the land to which the Lord was trying to take them. I don't have time to go through the entire list, but let's read a few of these.
1: Let's, let's go back Deuteronomy 11 verses 11 and 12. But the land whither ye go to possess it uh-huh. is a land of hills and it's valleys. A
0: land of hills and valleys.
1: And drinketh water of the rain of heaven. Water
0: from the rain of
1: heaven. A land which the Lord thy God, God careth for. God
0: cares for this land.
1: The eyes of the Lord His are upon
0: it. His eyes are on that land.
1: From the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year.
0: Throughout the entire year, God's favor is on that land. God repeatedly called it a good land. And so did those who trust in Him. Let's read some more. Numbers chapter 14, verse 7.
1: And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. This
0: is the report of Joshua and Caleb after they went through for the first time and began to look at this land. God had told Moses, I'm going to take you to a good land. And when Joshua and Caleb came out of their search of that land, this was their report. The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. This land's better than Egypt. Let's focus on this land. Let's get our eyes
1: on this land. Let's go after this land. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy chapter one, verse twenty-five. And they took uh, the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us, and brought us word again, and said, "It is a good land. It's a good land which the Lord our God doth give us." Deuteronomy one thirty-five. Surely there shall not one of these men of e- this evil generation see that good land. See that. Good land. Which I swear to give unto your fathers. Again, God is calling it a good land. Deuteronomy 3, verse 25. I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan. Let me go see that good land, amen, that is beyond Jordan. That goodly mountain and Lebanon.
0: Yes, and then Deuteronomy 8, verses 7 to 10. For the
1: Lord thy God bringeth bringeth thee into a into a
0: good land. Everyone say, a good land. A good land.
1: A, All right, read. A land of brooks of water, yes. of fountains and depths that yes. spring out of the valleys and hills. Uh-huh. A land of wheat and wheat, barley, barley and vines, vines and fig, fig trees, fig trees and pomegranates. pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. Yes. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread, You'll without, eat scarceness. bread
0: without scarceness.
1: Thou shalt not You're lack not anything. You're not gonna lack anything,
0: anything when you get to this land. Everything you need can be found in this land.
1: A land whose stones are iron. The stones are iron. And out of whose hills thou mayest dig dig
0: brass.
1: When thou hast eaten and and are full, then shalt thou bless bless the Lord thy God God for the good land which he hath given
0: thee. Amen. I'm going to tell you. God wanted to remind them no matter how much they kept saying let's go back to Egypt God kept saying wait a minute there's a good land out there there's a good land out there don't get your eyes on what's behind you don't look at what's back there you gotta keep your eyes on the good land you gotta stay focused because in that good land I'm gonna meet your needs I'm gonna take care of you I'm gonna give you everything you ever long for when you get to the good land you're going to be provided for. They should have been glad. Glad for the hope of one day living in a good land. They hadn't known a good land. They'd been in Egypt for 400 years. They'd wandered in the wilderness For 40 years. They hadn't known a good land. They should have been focused on the good land that God wanted to give them. But they kept looking back behind them. Now I'm going to tell you today what I want to talk to you about for the next few moments. And I'm going to have to really kick this into high gear if I can find the gear. and My clutch will work. Praise God. Hallelujah. But I'm concerned. I'm concerned today when I look out across the landscape and I see so many folks that are eyeing the spiritual Egyptians and trying to do things the Egyptian way. They're trying to follow the Egyptian patterns. Oh, I hope somebody's going to help me today. I'm concerned today at those who are trying to learn how to quote unquote build churches the way the Egyptians build them. They're trying to worship the way the Egyptians worship. They want the same music that the Egyptians listen to. They want the same theater styles that the Egyptians have. Oh somebody help me here today. I'm concerned at so many that want to try to turn the church into a Another Egypt. Listen to me. When God created the church, he gave us a good land. He gave us everything we need. Brother Goff, everything that the church could ever need, it's right here. Everything the saints could ever want, it's right here. We've got healing. We've got power.
1: We've got glory. We don't need Egypt.
0: We don't need to learn the ways of the Egyptians. But unfortunately, too many keep looking back. The Lord repeatedly warned about the danger of looking back. Luke
1: chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God.
0: Brother Hilton, I believe that scripture as firmly as I believe Acts 2.38. I believe that scripture as firmly as I believe John chapter 3 verse 5. No man, no man, no man that puts his hand to the plow. That's talking about kingdom work. That's talking about kingdom work. Once you start working for the kingdom, don't start looking back at Egypt and trying to figure out how do they do it there? What do their plows look like? What kind of animals are they using? Come on, somebody. What are they doing back in Egypt? I want to know how they do it so we can do it the same way. I'm not interested, friend. If that's what it takes, I'm going to tell you, I'm not interested. You can have my card today. I'm not interested. I want to do things the way God said do them. I want to build a church the way Jesus said to build it. I don't want to learn from the Egyptians.
1: Luke 17, verses 31 and 32. In that day he shall take be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house. Let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return, not return back. When you're in the field, when you're in the field,
0: don't start looking back and heading back toward Egypt. We don't need to know how Egypt handles their fields. We don't need to know how they are able to plant and grow. Because I want to tell you what they're growing is not the crop I'm interested in.
1: Well, hallelujah. And then he said, remember Lot's wife.
0: Remember Lot's wife. Who having been spared from the filth from thee abominations of Sodom and Gomorrah turned and looked back. She'd been set free from it. She had been miraculously delivered from it. In fact, the angel, the Bible said, had mercy on them because evidently they really didn't want to leave. But the prayers of Uncle Abraham Caused the angels to take them by the hand and pull them out of Sodom. But they may have pulled them out of Sodom. The problem was they could never get Sodom out of them. And that's where we are, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that there are way too many in the church today. They may have come out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of them. They want to do things the way the Egyptians do. They want to look like the Egyptians, act like the Egyptians, worship like the Egyptians, embrace the technologies of the Egyptians. Oh, I wish somebody would help me here today. I'm telling you, I'm telling you today, we've got to keep our eyes on the good land. The church is not like Egypt, and it never should be.
1: Read for me Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 11, verse 10 again. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt from it's whence you like came Egypt. out. It's not like Egypt. It's not like Egypt. It's not like Egypt. Listen to what God said. The land that
0: I'm going to give you is not like Egypt. Don't try to make it like Egypt. It's not like Egypt from which you came out.
1: Read. Where thou sowest the seed and waterest with thy foot yeah. as a garden of herbs. Yeah,
0: we'll talk about that in a few minutes, Lord willing. Amen. But I'm here to tell you our land is better than Egypt. Let me tell you just a few ways here, and I'm going to have to hurry. I've got to hurry. But, but let me tell you just a few ways that our land is better than Egypt. For one thing, for one thing, read for me Exodus chapter 12, verse 12.
1: For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, uh-huh. both man and beast, uh-huh. and against now, all now, now
0: hang on, read, read this slowly. And against
1: all, all the gods the what? Gods. The what? Gods. All the gods of Egypt. Of Egypt. I will execute I judgment. I will
0: execute judgment.
1: I am I the Lord. I
0: am the Lord. Let me tell you the first way that this land is better than Egypt. Egypt worshipped Many gods. One man said as many as 600 different gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't know a very many religions today that still have that many gods, but I know a whole lot of religions that are worshipping three Now, they'll tell you it's not three gods, and I understand that, and I try to be respectful when I talk to them, and God's been gracious to me and helped me to win hundreds, hundreds of them, and I don't do it by telling them that they believe in more than one God, but the fact of the matter is, any time you've got three separate, distinct persons, and one of them can abandon the other one while he's dying on the cross, you don't have three persons in one God. You've got three gods. That's all there is to it. But I am here to declare today that here in the good land, we don't have three gods. We don't have three persons in one God. Here in the good land, we know but one God, and His name is Jesus. In fact, in fact, if you have ever read the story of Civilization by Will Durant, Will Durant makes a, a statement in the uh, Those books, those volumes, volume 3, the story of civilization, page 595, he makes this statement, from Egypt came the idea of a divine trinity. It was Egypt that came up with that idea. Well, I'm here to tell you, I'm not interested in looking back at Egypt. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God is one Lord. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, this is the first and great commandment. Mark 12, verses 28
1: to 30, read. And one of the scribes came, came, having heard them reasoning reasoning together, together, and perceiving perceiving that he had answered them them well, well, he asked asked him, which is the first is commandment the first of all?
0: commandment out of all of them?
1: And Jesus answered, and him, Jesus answered him, the first, of, the all the first, first is, of all
0: the commandments is, here, o Israel, hear, oh Israel, the Lord our, God, the Lord is our one Lord. God
1: is one Lord, and thou shalt love thou the Lord thy, God, the Lord with thy God with all thy heart, and with all, with thy, soul. all thy soul, and with all thy, with mind. All thy might, and with uh, all, thy uh, all thy
0: strength. This is the first commandment. I don't want to go back to Egypt. I'm not looking to have a dialogue with the Trinitarians. I'm not looking to call them brother. I believe there's only one God. I believe his name is Jesus. I don't have to worry about who I'm going to pray to. I don't have to worry about who I'm going to worship. I don't have to try to divide my time among three co-equal, co-existent persons. There's only one God. He is Alpha. He is Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the first. He's the last. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He's the Almighty. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Anybody believe that in this house today? And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, amen, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. How about this? How about John 10 and 30? I and my Father are one. How about Colossians 2 and verse 9? For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I'm going to tell you. I've watched it through the years. I've watched prominent individuals develop a following in the apostolic ranks. And they start abandoning certain principles and it's not long until they have embraced Egypt wholeheartedly to the point I heard one the other day talking about the beauty of the unity between the three members of the Trinity. And this man used to preach one God. You know what happened? He started looking at Egypt. He started getting interested in Egypt. He started following after Egypt. Well, praise God. I don't have a whole lot of time. Amen. I'm going to throw this in. I'll come back. Lord willing, I'm going to teach on. I know we've got some, some new folks here, and I certainly don't want to, in any way, offend any of them. But let me pastor a little bit today, and I promise you, I'll come back and do some teaching and explain the things that I'm going to. I don't have time to teach this morning. I'm going to have to just touch on it. But let me tell you something else about these Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians loved ornamentation. They loved wearing jewelry, not just for the beauty of it, but because they believed that jewelry had magical powers. You, you can look this up. You can find this out for yourself. I'm not making things up. They adorned themselves with as much jewelry as they could afford. In fact, it was in Egypt that the whole idea of a wedding band began. There's a reason why it's worn on the left hand, on what is called the ring finger. It's because the Egyptians believed that there was a vein that ran from that finger directly to the heart. And by putting a band around that finger, it was was a magical way of binding the hearts of two people and keeping any evil spirits from bringing disunity to that marriage. That's where it began. That's how it started. It was witchcraft that began the whole idea. It's gotten quieting. I'm not teaching anything I haven't taught in 26 years. And then the Roman Catholic Church picked up on that Egyptian practice. I was teaching this in Africa. Some of the men there were having a hard time understanding and comprehending. Until I got to this point, these you remember our men who have come out of the Trinitarian movement. And I explained to them that the Roman Catholic Church adopted this practice of using this wedding ring on this finger, but they wanted to make it Christian. And so they would take the ring, and they would count down in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And the ring would go on that finger when they pronounced the third member of the Trinity. And that ring became to the Catholic Church a symbol of the Trinitarian doctrine. When I said that, one of those preachers who had come out of the Trinity reached down and pulled his off his hand. He said, When my wife and I got married, that's exactly what they did. And he said, I want this world to know I'm no longer a Trinitarian. Well, hallelujah. It's gotten quiet. But this is still true. The Egyptians cared about their appearance a great deal. The women spent a great amount of time painting their skin. It was an Egyptian practice to use cosmetics, they kept dye in jars and pots. They would line their eyes and their eyebrows using a brush or a pencil that was made out of reeds. You can look all this up. I'm not making any of it up. It's all true, and I've got the references in my notes if you want to see them. I'm going to tell you, we're not like Egypt, and we're not going back to Egypt. The truth church is going to continue to be the truth church i'm not looking at the way egypt does things i'm not looking at the way egypt handles things i'm not interested in what egypt has to say about how we should look or how we should dress i'm going to take my cue from the word of god read for me brother golf this is first timothy chapter two verses eight through ten
1: I will therefore that, I men will pray will that men pray everywhere. Lifting, lifting up, holy, up hands, holy hands. Without holy wrath hands, and hands, doubting. Not
0: hands that are bound by Egyptian things, uh, but holy hands uh, without wrath and doubting.
1: In like manner in like also, manner also that women adorn that themselves, women adorn modest themselves
0: with modest apparel, with shamefacedness, shamefacedness, and sobriety, and sobriety. And with n- not, not with broided with hair, hair, or, per- or gold, gold, or pearls, or, pearls or, or, costly or costly array. This is the apostolic model. This is what we were given. This is what it's like in the good land. This is the way it's done in the land that God blesses. We don't need to learn the way of the Egyptians. Oh, let me hurry on. This is a better land than Egypt. Let me show you something else about Egyptians. Genesis chapter 46, verse 34.
1: That ye shall say, thy servants' trade hath been about cattle from our youth.
0: Now, this is Joseph. He's talking to his family, as they come in to meet the Pharaoh, and Joseph said, let me give you guys a little hint here. You want things to go a certain way. You're dealing with the most powerful man in the world. You want things to go the right way here. So, so just be careful and, and identify yourself the way you really are so he knows where you're coming from. He said, you need to tell him, our trade has been about cattle from our youth even until now
1: both we and also our fathers, uh-huh. that ye may dwell in the land of so Goshen. That,
0: so that he'll put you in a special place. Read.
1: For every shepherd is because an abomination.
0: Egyptians don't like shepherds. In fact, Egyptians hate shepherds. That's what the word abomination means. It is extremely detestable. And Joseph said, let me tell you, every shepherd is an abomination to an Egyptian. But here in this good land, here in this good land, we love shepherds. We understand the need for shepherds. We know we can't make it without shepherds. And I'm going to tell you, if you're running with somebody that hates a shepherd, you better mark them as an Egyptian and get as far from them as you can get. They're not your friend. They're not God's friend. I'm here to tell you they're an Egyptian. They want you in bondage. They want to take you back to the land of slavery. What is Ephesians chapter 4? I wish I had time to develop all of this. I should have, should have made this into a series, I guess. Ephesians chapter 4, and
1: verses 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now why did he give them? For the perfecting he of the saints. He gave them
0: for our perfecting.
1: For the work of the, for ministry. the, work of
0: the ministry.
1: For the edifying for of, the the building body of, Christ. Up of the
0: body of Christ. Amen. Shepherds are not our enemies. I said, a shepherd is not our enemy. He may have to correct us. He may have to rebuke us. He may have to set us straight. It may not always be comfortable. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. 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 Let me tell you. I just feel like throwing this in today, and I, I know, I know. My time is nearly up. We're going to hit magic hour before long. i got to be careful here. Um, Several years ago, Colorado Springs, Bishop Johnson was the pastor there then. This was long before Brother Burgess came on the scene. And my pastor uh, was out in, in Colorado on vacation and and uh, he had already promised his family, he said, I'm not going to do any preaching. We're just here for vacation. And, and, um, but then one night while they were there, God gave him a dream about the church. And he and, and Bishop Johnson had been friends for many years, and so he called Brother Johnson and said, I just want you to know I was in town. And uh, Brother Johnson said, well, man, you're going to preach for me tonight. And Brother Davis said, well, I, honestly, I promised my family I wouldn't preach. But he said, God gave me a dream about your church. He said, because of that, I feel like I have to. Well, what, what Elder Davis did not know, what he did not know, is that Sunday night, before the elder had this dream, Bishop Johnson had gone on one of those pastoral tirades, I guess you could call it. He was fired up about some things. And he was, he was ever more coming down. I mean, he was shucking the corn. And he was stomping on a whole lot of toes. And he got red in the face, and he, he, uh, he sounded like he was angry. And he just began to tell it like it was. And he pointed his finger at the crowd, and he said, "If you don't like it, there's the door." And seventeen people got up and walked out. Those seventeen people were key members of that church had a lot of family connections in the church. And they began to call around those next few days and stir up as much trouble as they could. And this was their common theme. If he was really a man of God, he'd never get mad and yell like that. If he was really a man of God, he wouldn't get red in the face and get angry like that. If he was really a man of God, he'd have handled things a lot differently than he did. He's not a man of God because of the way he acted. Now, Elder Davis didn't know any of that. Elder Davis got up to preach that night, and he started preaching about how God puts his attitude on the pastor. Without knowing one thing, he began to preach when God really loves a congregation. You're going to see that love shining through the pastor's eyes. You're going to see the smile on his face and you're going to feel the compassion and you're going to feel the warmth of it. And then as he preached, he said, but if God gets angry, you're going to see that anger on the face of his man. And he's going to get red in the face and he may do some yelling and finger pointing. And he may make some statements that you don't like, but he said, don't you blame that man of God it's because he's reflecting the attitude of God toward the people at that moment. I'm just going to tell you, you'll find these mixed multitude around that'll find some flaw in your shepherd. And they'll try to make a big deal out of this supposed flaw. But you might want to ask yourself, oh, he yelled, he screamed, he did. You might want to ask yourself, could it be that that was the attitude of God at the moment? I want to tell you something. I don't want to be associated with Egyptians. I'm not interested because you know what the rest of the story was for the Egyptians. You know how the Egyptians ended up. And you know why they ended that way? They had a Pharaoh, but they they didn't have a shepherd. They had a pharaoh, but they didn't have a shepherd. And there's too many pharaohs. Well, help me, Jesus. I need to be nice. I need to be nice. Come back over here and sit down and behave myself. Praise God. It's for the perfecting of the saints. And once in a while, the only way we're going to get perfected is to have a few things taken off of us, sometimes a little roughly. Sometimes it's going to be a little straightforward. But God knows what we need, and He gave us shepherds because of it. And listen, I'm not just preaching to you. I've got a shepherd in my life. I've been pastoring now for however many years it is. I don't even know. Nearly 40 years, I guess, that I've been pastoring. Close to 40 years I've been pastoring. I've been preaching for more than 45 years. But I still have a shepherd in my life. And I plan to have a shepherd to the day I die. Well, and you should too. I'm not talking about a TV preacher. What Brother Ham say? Brother Ham was telling a story about uh, somebody he'd been trying to get to church and and said, the guy told him, said, oh, I go to church. He said, really? He said, yeah. I said, I watch it on my computer every week. He said, now, he had invited me over there for a birthday party for his wife. And he said, I was there. Now, this was a man out of their church, originally out of their church. But he was out. You get the word. Words mean things. Out of their church. And uh, Brother Hammond had gone by to see him. And and the guy had invited him there because he was giving a birthday party for his wife. And so... Uh, Brother Ham said, man, you need to come back to church. said, oh, I go to church. He said, you do? He said, where? He said, oh, I go every Sunday. He said, I, I watch, there's a church I watch on my computer every Sunday. Brother Ham said, well, why isn't he here at your birthday party? Well, hallelujah. You get sick, are you going to be able to call him? Does he care about what's going on? You're in the hospital, you got a lost loved one, you got somebody that's about to die, you're gonna be able to get a hold of that TV preacher? That internet personality, are they gonna come to your rescue? Do they even care? Well, that's why you need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. I'll say it again you need a shepherd. Stay away from the Egyptians who hate the shepherds. All right, I got to move on. Oh, Lord Jesus, I got to move on. My last point. This really is my last point. Another way that this is a better land, it's a good land. The church is a good land. And here's another way that it is better than Egypt. Deuteronomy 11, verse 10. I've referred to it several times, kept saying I'd come back to it. I'm going to do it now. Deuteronomy 11, verse 10.
1: For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. It's not like the land of Egypt. From which ye came but out. Which you came out of. Where thou sowest thy seed. You sow your seed. And watered it with thy and foot. And you water it with your foot. As a garden of herbs.
0: Now, what does all this mean? practice of the ancient Egyptians. Now they did have, they had the Nile River on one side, but Egypt was a huge place. And there were parts of Egypt that were barren. A lot of desert land in Egypt. They had to find ways to irrigate the land through mechanical means. Those that were going to try to raise crops in Egypt had to learn processes of irrigation. They had to learn how to use various devices, aspirators, and things that they put on their feet. Things that they would do to try to get water further inland. It was the only way that they could grow a crop. But God said, I'm going to send you to a land. Where you're not going to have to try to create water on your own. I'm going to send you to a land. Where I'm going to open the heavens. And all of the water you need. Is going to come from heaven itself. I'm going to give you. What that dry and thirsty land needs. Listen to me, saints of God. This is my deep concern for many in the apostolic movement today. I'm watching as they turn the lights down and they blacken the platform as they get their spotlights and their fog machines and they start doing things. You know what they're doing? They're trying to irrigate the land with their own feet. They're trying to create a move of God that simply doesn't exist. Let's crank up the guitars. Let's pound the drums let's get the music as wild as we can get it let's do what we can do we need some water around here it's awful dry but I'm here to tell you in the true church of the living God we don't have to have Egypt's methods we don't have to have Egypt's ways in the true church God will open the heavens listen I'm not trying to pat myself on the back in any way but I'm going to tell you what we felt happening around here this morning as we were singing those songs was not because we had some kind of Egyptian beat going on it's not because somebody had learned even how to turn down the lights and crank up the spots and turn the mood lights on it wasn't any of that but I'm going to tell you people were seeking God they were crying out to God until God God began to send the rain, and the rain of God began to fall. That's what I want, saints. I don't want Egyptian irrigation, I want heavenly rain.
1: Hallelujah!
0: Hallelujah! I'm closing, I'm closing. I read a story about a sermon a man preached many years ago. He told about an individual who was very well known in his day for religious dramas, plays that he performed in a church. The reason he was so well known is because anytime he did it, it was very realistic he knew how to make the crowd feel like they were really there when it was happening now this is from what i understand this was this actually happened he decided that he would do a play about the day of pentecost and he decided that he would use actual fire to depict The tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them in Acts 2. But on this particular day, in this particular play, the rest of the stage caught fire. And while the horrified onlookers watched, the entire church... Burned to the ground. And someone said, The moral of this story is clear. Pray for Pentecostal power, but don't try to manufacture it. I'm going to tell you, I am concerned in this day. Let's stand. I'm concerned. In this day and hour, that far too many people want to learn the ways of the Egyptians and try to irrigate through man made means, man made methods, rather than asking God to send the rain of heaven. There is a book on my bookshelf called The Hallmarks of Pentecost. It was written in the late 1980s. In the introduction to that book, the author writes, and I quote, in 1906. In the original Pentecostal meetings at Azusa Street in Los Angeles a prophecy was made and recorded. It does seem that what the Spirit said to churches then has an alarming ability to perceive things for our times and a powerful relevance for us it runs as follows. Now please understand, he's quoting a prophecy that went forth in 1906 at Azusa Street. This is what the prophecy said. In the last days, just before the return of Jesus Christ, in Pentecostal circles, there will be an overemphasis on power rather than righteousness. There will be an emphasis on praise to a God they no longer pray to. There will be an emphasis on gifts rather than the lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe we've lived to see that day. I believe we have lived to watch the fulfillment of a prophecy that's now more than 100 years old. But may God help us not to succumb to the spirit of the age. Help us to gladly live in this good land. I've got two more passages of scripture, and then I'm going to open these altars. But let's read again Deuteronomy chapter eleven. And I want to read a few more verses here, verses ten through fourteen. Listen to this.
1: For the land whither thou goest and to possess it is not as the land of Egypt, from whence she came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest with thy foot as the garden of herbs. But the land, but the land whither ye go to possess it you're
0: going to possess,
1: is a land of hills and valleys. And drinketh, drinks it, the water of the, the rain of heaven,
0: of the rain of heaven.
1: The land which the Lord thy God, God careth cares for, for this land. And the eyes of the Lord thy the God of the Lord are always upon it,
0: are always on this land,
1: from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the yes. year. and it shall come to now pass. Now listen, it shall come to pass if you shall hearken if, diligently.
0: If. You'll hearken diligently
1: unto my commandments, to my commandments which, I command, which day, I
0: command you this day to
1: love the Lord, your, love God,
0: the Lord your God and to
1: serve, Him with, to all serve your heart, Him with
0: all your heart and
1: with all your soul,
0: all your soul that
1: I will give you in the, I rain will give
0: you the rain
1: of your land in His due season. Did
0: you hear what He said? If we want the rain of heaven, there's a condition placed on it. God doesn't just send it just to be sending it. But He said, if you'll hearken to my command, if you'll love God and serve Him with all your heart and soul, then I'll give you the rain in His due season. The first rain and the latter rain.
1: Thou mayest gather in thy corn, and thy wine, and thine oil. So you
0: can have the harvest that you want. If, if, if you'll hearken, I'll send the rain. That's the problem. That's why so many want to try to find methods of irrigation. Because they don't want to hearken to God's commands. Second Chronicles chapter 7, we know verse 14, but I think we ought to back up and start with verse 12 and see what God was saying in this passage. Read for me, Second Chronicles 7, verses 12 through 14.
1: And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, He said to him, I have heard thy prayer,
0: I have heard your prayer,
1: and have chosen this place to
0: myself
1: for a house of sacrifice, a
0: place of sacrifice
1: if i shut up the now heaven listen to
0: what he said if you find yourself in a condition where i've shut up heaven
1: that there be no rain there's
0: no rain
1: or if i command the locusts yes. to devour the land yes or if i send pestilence yes. among my people if my people, if
0: my people
1: which are called by my name, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves and pray. And seek
0: my faith and turn
1: from their wicked turn
0: ways. from their wicked ways.
1: Then will I hear from heaven. Then
0: will I hear from heaven.
1: And forgive their sin, forgive their sin and heal their land.
0: God said, if you want the rain,
1: this is the way
0: to get it. It's not going to come through the irrigation methods of the Egyptians. It's going to come through humbling yourself and seeking my face and abandoning the ways of the Egyptians and serving me with your whole heart. True church, I don't want, I don't want to be associated with Egypt. I don't want, I don't want the things that Egypt has to offer the one desire of my heart, I want the rain from heaven. I want the rain from heaven.